Welcome back to the Talk Your Sass podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Bewint. And today, our first guest on season two of the, sh- of the show is Chloe. She is a UX researcher, and I'm so happy to have her on the show. This is the first time having someone coming from UX research here with us. So this is going to be such a good episode. So many gems for you guys. Chloe, welcome. Hi. No, I'm excited to be here, too. I didn't know I was your first UX researcher, but that's awesome. (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, I like to ask everybody when we when we first start talking, what was your first job? Ooh, so are you talking like in college or graduating or like my very first job at 18? Yeah, like first, first job, like origin. Okay, my very first job at 18 was working for an on-campus library at the University of Texas. It was the Benson Latin American Collection like one of the largest um, collection of books. So essentially me and a group of other 18-year-olds were like handling 300-year-old books from Spain, like archival materials. And so that was pretty exciting, minimum wage, but also around really cool books and it was nice and quiet. So yeah. I feel like that's kind of a line, books, research. So that adds up. Kind of, yeah. Definitely picked up a couple of good like research habits from the grad students who would hang out there that they were like the only people who would show up to that library basically okay okay cool my next thing that I always talk about in in the beginning parts of having a guest host on is talking about your eight-year-old self because I don't know if you heard this research before but especially in women and girls well women before they were girls obviously um your eight-year-old self is Eight to nine years old is normally when, like, if you had big dreams or you had, like, this super creative spirit, research shows that that's typically, like, when people start to believe whatever the world says about them or when they start getting exposed to, like, that kind of criticism or naysaying, they typically, like, revert to whatever that is instead of just, like, going forward with maybe any dreams that they might have or thoughts. So could you talk to us about like what your, if you remember like your eight-year-old self was like and if those dreams are different from what we see today? Yeah, absolutely. My eight-year-old self wanted to be governor of Texas, maybe Madison really? Texas, yes. I was super shy and reserved and quiet, but I absolutely like love politics and was also obsessed with these like royal diary books. And so like diaries of women who were head of state, I absolutely love them. Like Cleopatra, like Spanish princesses, princesses, Queen Nzinga, like their diaries for children. And it was super like just informative and kind of shaped my worldview. So I was like, I want to be a head of state. I want to be like a Barbara Jordan or Shirley Chisholm. I want to be governor of Texas, like an Ann Richards. Um, So yeah, that's what I wanted to do at eight. And who knows uh, that it's still kind of possible. I don't think it's possible. It's definitely possible. Anyone can kind of run for office. So there's still time. I don't even think I'm like age eligible yet. So that's what I want to be <laughs> at eight years old. That's such a cool story and such a cool dream. Again, like I like asking this question because everyone who I've had on the podcast and have access to, it was so, their dream was so big or so 
also was so like different from what we see them today doing or we know them as today. So also super creative too. So a lot of the answers that I've gotten. What were the name of those books called again? I've not heard of that, but I, I would like to get that for my daughters. Yeah, the Royal Diary series. So okay, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it's historical fiction. They'll take like Marie Antoinette and have like fake journal entries. And at the back, it has like actual historical artifacts for you to go through. Um, and like queens from everywhere, Asia, Africa. Really interesting. Mm, I like that. So you dropped a gem that I didn't know about, but I'll definitely um, get into that. So let's talk about your tech career. How did you get into UX research? Um, just kind of give us like how you started out and what made you select that or go down that path when you were trying to decide like what to do in tech. Yeah, absolutely. UX is really, really young and still in its infancy. And so talking about my path and also talking to other people about their paths, they don't look alike at all. Um, how I got my start is also kind of weird. My degree is in Korean, Asian cultures and languages. I had a tiny internship during South by Southwest. I went to the University of Texas working with a Korean like startup crowdfunding concert app who were basically like, we want to interview two people who use our product actual musicians and their fans and South by Southwest is the best place to do this. They reached out to my Korean professor at the time and I was a native English speaker and I was available and that was pretty much it. I had no idea what UX or user experience was, what it looked like. I had no exposure to tech. I'm a first gen student. My parents are born in the 50s and 60s, they wouldn't even be allowed to go to UT. Um, so I didn't know any of wow. this. Yeah, UT wasn't integrated until like late 60s or 70s. But I had no idea what UX was or like had any real understanding of it. But when I was doing on-site interviews and essentially pushed into this role as a native English speaker, I was like, this is really cool. This is really interesting. Is there a name for this? Um, how does this work? And they said, yeah, it's called UX research. You should look into it. Sure. Because once again, my degree is in Korean. There's not, <laughs> there's not a clear path for that compared to someone who may have a degree in marketing or computer science. You just kind of make what right. it is. Um, I thought I was going to work for the CIA. That didn't go well. And at that point, I was like, okay, UX, I'm going to find every free PDF and book I can on Amazon, educate myself on it. I'm going to look up subreddits and understand what a UX portfolio looks like. And then from there, I was like, let me start to build out some of these case studies and sort of prove to myself and to whoever else will look at my portfolio and understand okay, this girl, she knows what she's talking about, or kind of. Of course, because UX, it's like really in its infancy. There is no clear path. Companies are just now getting UX departments. So of course they wouldn't want like a junior UX person to start off with. I went into digital marketing after college in the sense that this is kind of adjacent to user experience and product. If I can understand the analytics portion, 
I, that'll also help me like with my UX skills, but I'm still going to build out my portfolio. I'm still going to work on my case studies. And so that's how I, I essentially got into the field. I did like quotes with my hand, but it really is what you make it. And it's super hard to get into as a junior UXer, especially back then, like seven years ago, essentially. A lot of the places that I wanted UX roles in, their UX departments were one or two people compared to hundreds now that it may be. So yeah. Wow. So many things that I I need to touch on that you said that are so important for our SAS listeners. So the first thing is, I love that you touched on the fact that you're a self-starter and there was no path, right? So you have to make up your own path. So instead of like just putting out a tweet or just putting on Instagram, like, hey, how do I get into tech? Like you knew what you wanted to get into, maybe experiment with, which is UX. You found out like what it was doing the um, South by Southwest gig. And then you just immediately went into like, I'm just going to research as much as I can on this and then go from there. I feel like a lot of people don't take that initiative and step to do the research, do the upfront work of you know, different career paths in tech. And then I want to touch on how you kind of positioned your case studies portfolio more of in like a senior manner, right? Or more, you made your portfolio in your case study like more mature because you knew like it's hard to, at that time, it's hard to get in as a junior. So kind of talk us through that process. How did you even know to do that or... What steps did you take? Yeah, absolutely. For me, going deep into the research portion was like, I don't have any money for boot camps and these coaches. I can't waste ten, twelve thousand dollars. That's a lot on like betting that I get in when all the information is there and available for me. All of those books. I easily found them and did a quick PDF search and forcing myself to do those activities and to read and understand. And I feel like that's that's just one of those, yes, you can have someone hold your hand and go through it, but I didn't have money to waste. And that was pretty much it. And so as for the building out my portfolios, I saw I sought out people who had senior UX roles. I like search them up and look at their portfolios. Definitely don't look at anyone director level or someone who has been in it 10, 15 years because they don't have that. They're not building out portfolios. A lot of times it will be someone who's been a graphic designer for 15, 20 years and then just transition to UX. They're not going to have the same portfolio as someone who's like young and hungry and like has to prove themselves. So that was necessary. And I learned that very early early on when I was like looking up portfolios of people who worked at Amazon and it was like one page of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it was taking real life examples and real life problems, which of which of course were free. My first case study was doing like evaluating this translator dictionary app from Korean to English. My participants were my classmates. It was something that I use every day that they used every day. Okay, how would I make this better? How would I redesign this? What would my research plan be? What is my thinking behind that? 
that was my very first case study. And it's very simple to take those real life examples of something people use every day, like a Twitter or an Instagram or a TikTok. Your friends and family, you can use them as your research participants and do your own UX research to show, yes, I am a self-starter. I have rigor. I did this. And here's how I evaluated this entire process. And so that I saw that it was like a more viable and, of course, free option versus like boot camps or coaches. It's more of like I'm going to put into it and I hope I get something out of it rather than I am betting on this. So yeah. I love it. And you took what you had and you started from where you were and kind of just build up built upon that. And I that's pretty much how I got into tech as well and into UX. And I didn't know anything about it beforehand. And I just researched as well and kind of just built my experience and my confidence that way. And then one job just kind of built on another and then here we are. So yeah, I definitely think that um, UX is one of those career paths in tech where you can still do that and you can still not have a degree or not have gone to a boot camp or whatever and still be able to break into the field. So yeah, uh, I love that um, story. So what's your day like as a UX researcher, can you tell us what that looks like and maybe some of the deliverables that you might be responsible for? Um, kind of like, what does your team look like? Who do you work with directly and support and collaborate with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I love about being a UXR is my day doesn't look the same every single day. So right now I am planning and budgeting to go on a couple of like field research trips while also finishing a share out I did on information architecture and restructuring it. A couple of different things going at once, but once a phase on a project is done or another phase is done, it doesn't really look the same day to day. And that's what I appreciate. A lot of it is me like collaborating and talking to my stakeholders and managing them and their expectations. That's a huge part of it. My deliverables are usually I give presentations and research share outs of my data, my findings. I also have to keep my people informed as what's going on. I don't do research by myself or like in a black box somewhere. I get them involved and in saying, hey, here's the link to watch this interview I'm doing. Here's also an Excel sheet to fill out your notes. Please keep this posted. But in terms of deliverables, it is building out something like a research roadmap and sort of shaping product strategy and for the future, basically. Um, and then also democratizing and socializing my research and making sure that, yes, here are my findings and recommendations, but what are we going to actually do now? Here are all the tangible steps that I identified. Who do I need to talk to to get this going and moving? And then who I work with directly. Um, so I am a fully embedded lead UXR, which means that I work with product and design directly. So it's communicating with my PMs and saying, hey, what's your goals? What's your OKRs? I'm going to base my roadmap on that because I want us to be successful. But I also want to show the power of user research and saying, 
this research directly affected the business and it's tied to this OKR and here's how. Um, And then also working with my design partners. um, I'm thankful that I work at a larger organization where I have a full-on design team. I don't have to do any prototyping myself. Um, So I'm working with design partners and empowering them to do like some quick research. Oh, you can do a quick five-person usability test on this specific prototype or concept. And then leaving some of those big question foundational, I'm in the field research to me. Yeah, I can tell that you are, I mean, I think you said seven years in, about seven Mm -hmm. years in, but I can tell that you are in a more lead strategic role or place in your career because you are talking about things like impacting the business, ROI, ROI of my role and how what I'm doing is helping product scale mature. And um, I think that's really important uh, to help people understand the distinction between a lot of times when you're in a more junior role or even some seniors at some companies, you will be very tactical focused. So you will be executing on like somebody else's strategy all the time or somebody else's vision. Whereas when you start to get into more lead, senior director, whatever level roles, you're definitely thinking of those things yourself and figuring out ways on how to implement those things yourself. Um, do you do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's one of the biggest learning areas for junior researchers or like entry level is that they'll the recommendations are great as in like, yes, we should do this. This is for the customer. You are the voice of the customer. Yes, we want to improve this. But unfortunately, we work for a business. We're, we're in life under capitalism and they're going to want to know what's the business impact of this. And so UX is all, all about building this empathy, helping the customer. But unfortunately, in the world we live in, they want to know the business impact and what that means for them. So if I can be that voice of the customer and understand this is absolutely something that they should be doing to improve whatever product and service we have. But also, I know it's not going to be that impactful or meaningful if I don't tie it to a business outcome. Exactly. What what else would you say people kind of need to embrace or know at the junior level, if they're wanting to come into the senior level and be able to be embedded and lead on a team um, from a UX research perspective? Can you kind of give some takeaways or recommendations on on what you're seeing in the industry? Yeah, um, I say one large takeaway is to build up your confidence. Don't be afraid to talk to someone on a director, senior director level when it comes to sharing your work. You are not only an advocate for the customer, but you're an advocate for yourself and you're an advocate for UX and the power of it. So don't be afraid to schedule something with someone who's way senior above you to explain your thinking process and what you do because you need that visibility and that visibility is how you move up and gain traction and get promoted and then tying all of everything that you do back to the business. Um, Another huge recommendation for younger or junior researchers is it's not about 
proving how well you understand a certain method or how well you can do something. It's more about, I want to know your thinking process behind it. So Mm -hmm. when I've helped people with like mock interviews and looking at their research portfolio presentations, a lot of the times I will see deliverables um, and they're going into detail to how they do it. And I just want to be like, at this stage, five interviews in, I am assuming you know how to do a customer interview or a card sort or whatever method. I don't want to see the exact deliverables because one, that's a red flag. If we hire you and you interview for even a competitor and you're showing your exact deliverables, but, and it also doesn't matter to me, like none of that is relevant. I want to know your thinking process. So why did you choose a survey? Why did you choose a customer interview? How would you do this differently with five participants or instead of 25? What would you do if I decide to cut the timeline of this by a month or I decide to give you more time, six months? Like, how would you change? It isn't still proving yourself that you can do the work because I am assuming at this point that, yes, you can do the work. I want to know how you think more than anything else. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I echo that and I've pretty much heard that from all of the Black women, the dope Black women I've had on this podcast is that confidence is key and then advocating for yourself. And and that that in and of itself is like a constant process that or thing that you have to do in your career, I feel. And then being able to speak to and defend your decisions and thought process is so important. It's always going to be, again, something that's reoccurring throughout your career. So thank you for that. Those are such um, great tips. Where do you think your career is going next on the journey, your career journey, your career path? Like, where do you where do you see yourself? Like, what are some big goals that you're you're working on now for your for your career? Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> um, I actually, I'm starting my MBA, so that'll be pretty exciting. But I think, well, the purpose of my MBA was someone like a Dantley Davis, who is like UX extraordinaire, who I look up to professionally. They, someone like him or others, like they usually have an MBA or being this VP level, senior director level of UXR, it took them 15, 20 years. And I don't want to wait 15, 20 years. <laughs> so that's basically my plan. Um, but essentially... Yes, I'm all on the fast track. I'm about uh, the fast track too. Yeah, just making UX a part of, like a real part of an organization. So it isn't like... You've seen this so many times where people are just now starting UX department or they don't take it seriously. It's like one of the first areas to be laid off. I want UX to be just as foundational as like a marketing or finance because it can be. You just have to once again prove that business value and ROI and how important that is um, in our world of capitalism. Um, outside of that, I don't know, maybe I'll open a business or something. (laughs) So that's it. Cool. That sounds, that sounds great. And I love your plan of like, just kind of looking at other people's career path, because that's what I do as well. So I love looking at other people's career paths, especially people who 
I know are like more mature, more advanced in their in their career, or even people I'm looking up to to kind of see what they did and what and what they didn't do, just learn from that and, and kind of tweak it. I mean, I kind of feel like that's such an easy um cheat code for advancing your career. And I love to hear that you're also doing that as well. So you just talked about layoffs. We are in this very layoff heavy climate right now, especially in tech. And so I didn't know that um, U.S. Research could be like the first team to be let go or department to be let go until you just drop that on us. So what advice do you have for people looking for in UX right now, in UX research that maybe have gotten laid off that they can use to stand out um, in this climate where we know people are getting like, laid off left and right? That's my first part of that question. Yeah. So I actually got laid off in like February, I think, like January, February. Um, <laughs> and one of the biggest things that saved me was one, I was so happy that I like saved some of my work. I think that's important. Make sure to save one or two projects here, there, scrub them down, of course, m- remove all proprietary information, but always kind of keep that little back pocket project every now and then. Um, and so that was one of the things that saved me compared to some of my other coworkers who were like, uh, we're completely shut down, locked out of Slack email. I'm going to have to recreate a project. So that's my like first recommendation. Um, and then also use your network really wisely. When it came to like getting myself out there, I immediately was in survival mode. Let me change LinkedIn to open. I am ready. Let me um, start talking to some of my previous connections. Um, I had my friends tweet for me. Um, and I use that like because they have bigger networks and they see more people. They have more diverse networks rather than the same people on my timeline all the time. So that was beneficial. Um, so when it comes to layoffs, your network is going to be extremely helpful. Um, it was for me. And to always kind of save a couple of things here and there for your portfolio and for presenting. Um, And then also don't let it affect you as a person. It has nothing to do with you. It is usually poor business decisions. Something about when layoffs happen and we all know it could like be any of us. There's a lot of like resiliency in the community. I know of someone who's been laid off three times already, like within the last 12 months from different like well-known tech companies. And so a lot of people have been extremely helpful and, hey, we heard this happen to you. Let's get you an interview. Like send me your portfolio. Let's talk to someone. I had my friend who had wider networks and like different industry, different state tweet for me. And then like day of, I had five interviews for like pretty well-known companies and like things. Um, So that's another one of my suggestions during layoffs. And if anything, it forced me to realize that don't tie too much of myself to it. Um, opportunities will come. Like when I saw my community rallying for me and getting interviews, 
Um, and it just takes time. So post layoff, a lot of it was, do I trust this company? Are they making good financial decisions? And kind of gave me that clarity. But it's also really hard to not be in survival mode and be like, I have bills to pay at the same time. Just understand you're also interviewing that company and more than likely want to avoid another layoff. So what are their financials? What are they doing? Are they handling business correctly? Yeah, super gems that you just dropped. Um, I had not thought of the having friends tweet and then post on LinkedIn for you, but that is clutch. I mean, especially we saw that you said that you got five interviews or, you know, after doing that. So I, if, if anything that you take away from this episode, if you are in a layoff situation, please start doing that ASAP. I love that you said, don't tie your, your, you know, you're more than work. And I know people I've been laid off before as well. And people often tie their, their self-worth to their work and definitely need to fire that thought process and stop doing that because you are the most important thing, not the job. So yeah. Okay. So I'm so happy to see that you have bounced back from that layoff so, so quickly. And um, I feel like it kind of gives a little bit of insight into UX as a whole, because, you know, there, the industry is still thriving. I, I know, I don't know if you've been seeing lately, but I've been seeing like videos and different things going around people saying like, is it a good time to get in the UX or should you get in a tech, whatever, like with all the layoffs, but there is no good time for a layoff and it's no better time to get a better job than right now. So yeah, definitely don't think, yeah, that that's true at all. Um, and you are, you're proof of that too. So yeah, there's definitely plenty of space in UX for everyone especially compared to where it was seven, 10 years ago. It, I know for junior UXRs, it doesn't feel like there's opportunity, but there are. Just feel confident again and build up those portfolios and reach out to someone, short of, sort of prove your vision and your strategy. But there's absolutely space and room for UXR and like no shortage of UXR opportunities at all. Yeah, SAS Tribe, there is space for you. Tech is hiring. UX is still hiring. So um, as Chloe said, get out there and be confident. So lastly, could you share um, some of your fave UXR resources with us? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of UX Her. I believe it's a, sort of like a collab, like a collab or like, it's a bunch of women in UX together, essentially. Um, and then also Ideate Labs, where I'm a mentor. Um, I like just now did a couple of mock interviews, and she just got two second rounds. I haven't experienced the boot camp, but my mentee said it was super beneficial, and she's also an MBA student. Um, so that is another resource. And then, honestly, a lot of it is a lot of boring reading, like... 
there are some amazing UX methods and books out there that you just have to take the time and read through and everything will click. And there are also free PDFs of them out there if you can't afford them. But those are my like top resources. I think everything started with reading some like qualitative usability methods or like best usability methods and going from there, build up your foundation that'll help build up your confidence. Nice. Thank you so much, Chloe, for coming on and guest hosting. Please share your handles with us. or uh, And then also, if there's any way that uh, we can support you on anything right now you want to share, go ahead and share that too before we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my portfolio, it is password blocked, but of course, you can always just email me um, at Chloe, C-H-L-O-E, at Chloe, C-H-L-O-E dash A-L-Y-C-E dot com. That is Chloe at Chloe dash A-L-Y-C-E dot com. That's my email. And that's also my portfolio website. If you have any questions um, related to user research, my career path and journey, or choosing to do a grad program, essentially, my handles I believe everywhere is Champagne Nuna. It's a pun on Drake and Korea. (laughs) Um, It's at Champagne N-O-O-N-A. So yeah. I didn't know what it meant, but I figured that that part about the champagne (laughs) part was Drake, but I I couldn't figure out the whole thing. So (laughs) thanks for that. Yeah. So Chloe, so good having you guest hosting on this episode and best of luck on your grad program. Thank you much for listening to this episode. Thank you for coming back for season two. It means a lot. I really appreciate each and every one of you who listen and subscribe and share. If this is your first time listening to the Talk Your Sass podcast, I want to shout you out. I hope you enjoyed it. You guys can email me at message at talkyoursass.com. You can find this podcast online, wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Spotify or Pandora or Google Podcast. You can also find it at talkyoursass.buzzsprout.com. So head over there, type it in your browser, if that's what you do, if you don't have your podcast listening app. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know. Tap that subscribe button that or that like button or share with a friend if you're really rooting for me in the show and you want to see us win. Or leave me a comment or a review. It means a lot. And I want to hear from dope women like you. I love reading reviews, questions, and comments. So if you have time, go ahead and leave me one. Thank you for listening to the Talk Your Sass show. Again, this is Jenna Bewint. Until next time, I'm making room, making space, and of course, talking more sass.